minimalists. <laughs> Hello, patrons. What's up, y'all? Thank you so much for your support. Amen we're, to that. We're so grateful. And Ryan, let's start with some more about less before we get into these questions. I've got this article. I love this. And, this and even the format of this article is awesome. Well, it's Dave Eggers, who you know I think is a living legend. Yes. He is one of my favorite writers. And he writes a lot of fiction, but also like his memoir, A Heartbreaking Work of Staggering Genius, was mm. is phenomenal. Um, people often compare everything that remains to a lot of his work and i'm it's awesome i'm, I'm forever uh, uh, grateful for that but uh the this is i mean if you really want to get down to the truth on the coronavirus this is it ryan and so this is called flattening the truth on coronavirus now ryan you're going to be the people and i'm going to be the i'm going to be answering the people as dave eggers okay so uh, we're going to go back and forth here. Okay. All right. So, so it's it's formatted P-A-P-A-P-A. -A -A -A. Okay. Yeah. People answers, people answers. You be the people, I'll be the answers. Ready? This is Flattening the Truth on Coronavirus from the New York Times by Dave Eggers. What is happening? A virus has come. Is it dangerous? Very dangerous, but not dangerous to most. It strikes the elderly most viciously, but it can kill the middle-aged, the young, the thin, the healthy. What should we do? Stay away from others. Stay inside. And then we won't get the virus? Absolutely, you will get the virus. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone will get it. Wait, no one told us this. They're telling us to stay inside and we won't get it. Well, I'm telling you now. Almost everyone will get it. 70% of you, give or take. Think about it. It's everywhere. And there's no vaccine. But... We want everyone to get it at different times, like on a schedule of getting it. At least 5 million people already have it in the United States. Wait, 5 million? Everyone says 1 million. That's the known, confirmed cases. We just started testing in earnest like an hour ago. For every case we know, there's 5, 10, 50 that we don't know. Maybe they got it and were asymptomatic. Maybe they got sick, but not sick enough to go to the hospital or get tested. Five million is an extremely low estimate of how many cases there are. It's probably more like 20 million. 20? That's the good news, <laughs> in a way. That means it's less deadly to most people than we thought. And it proves the, inevitably, uh, it improves the inevitability of you getting it yourself. So stay inside till it's your turn to get it. Mm, how long should we stay inside? I'm thinking two months. No. Three. Six? No, 12. Yes, 12. Then it will be gone. The virus? Lord, no. It could be 18 months till we get a vaccine. But by then, you'll have, you'll have already gotten it. So the date doesn't really matter. Especially given that the virus will come back double strong in the fall. So it's less potent in the summer? Absolutely not. Who told you that? You just said it'll come back stronger in the fall, which implies its power is dissipated in the summer. Are you a doctor? No. Good. <laughs> then pay attention. The virus is everywhere, in every city and state, but we're flattening the curve. Then it'll very likely come back with a vengeance in the fall. Winter, too. Also, in the meantime, it'll be with us all summer with probably no change in its potency. Capiche? No one's giving us this information. Well, <laughs> well, you know how we're stretching out the cases over a longer period of time? Flattening the curve. We're also flattening the truth. 
So, so just stay inside and you'll be fine. Order stuff online. Support your local restaurants. Whew. Okay, we can do that. But do so knowing that you are putting the lives of everyone at risk. The cooks, the clerks, the delivery people. I'm actually a bit shocked by your selfishness, Ryan. (laughs) And the cavalier way, you're sacrificing the lives of people who have no choice but to expose themselves to grave danger during a pandemic. It sounds like you're saying we shouldn't order stuff to be delivered. You shouldn't, unless you want local businesses to die. So we should support local businesses. Absolutely. While risking their workers' lives. Yes, order food, eat it, watch the news about the pandemic that can't be stopped, get plenty of sleep, and start smoking. Turns out, smokers are less likely to get sick, which only makes sense. So remember, to exercise, go for a run. Where should we go for a run? Ideally, someplace where you can spread out, where you aren't in close proximity to other people. Like the beach or a park. Sure. Beaches and parks are wide open spaces. They're about a safe as you can be. We just went to the beach in the park. There were hundreds of other people there. You went to the beach? The park? What were you thinking? There are hundreds of people there. Go home. Be with your kids. Do you have kids? Yes. Well, make sure they keep up with school, keep up with their worksheets and Zoom and check their work and keep them off screens and go outside and don't worry about school. It's a pandemic after all. Um... Many of the things you just said sound contradictory. Not at all. I'll rephrase. (laughs) Your kids are living through a crisis. It's all right if they feel anxious. Or if you can't maintain routines or keep up with regular school schedules, just make sure they don't fall behind. And remember that kids thrive on routine. So stick to a schedule, but give them space and stay inside and go outside and use technology to connect with teachers and friends and limit screen time. Wait, so... But enjoy some downtime together. (laughs) Relax and watch a movie. Cook some food. Don't just go to the stores because that's dangerous to everyone. Order in, but don't. Stay home. Move to the country. (laughs) (laughs) Move to the country and stay in the city. If you get sick, go to the hospital. But don't get too sick because you wouldn't want to be going to one of those hospitals now. They're full of sick people. When did you say all this would end? 18 months. That said, the soonest we've ever come up with a vaccine was four years. (laughs) (laughs) But everyone's talking about reopening stores and everything now. How does that square with 18 months? That's easy. People will die. (laughs) Wait, what? Oh, sure. So many more. Oceans of people. Even just 1,500 a day for 18 months means 800,000 people in the United States alone will die from this virus. That's what the Minnesota scientist says. Osterholm, he's one of the foremost experts in the world. He's been right every step of the way so far. What? 800,000? That's if things stay more or less steady. It could be higher, much higher, with the easing of restrictions and all. But isn't the rate of death declining? Friday was one of the deadliest days yet, and that's after everyone's been inside for a month. Once everyone goes back to work, it'll probably go up significantly. Total bloodbath. So, why are we easing restrictions? Something, something, the economy. Excuse me? Mumble, mumble, the economy, maybe? (laughs) We don't understand. Listen, 
People are fatigued. They want to go back to work. They want to shop. More than anything, they want to roll balls toward white pins and make loud bang-bang sound. (laughs) 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 And then possibly end up with a tube inserted in their trachea, helping them breathe while their lungs cease to function until they almost invariably die and die alone. Why don't we just freeze the economy? Just close most businesses and have the government give everyone a living wage while we wait until there's a vaccine. Hmm. First of all, ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) Second, that would take significant coordination between local, state, and federal governments. Can we do that? Well, I don't know. I, I mean, okay. For starters... We need super advanced ways to coordinate everyone. We need, we'd certainly need phones, maybe email. We might even need spreadsheets and or computers. Do, do we have all those things? I think we, we might. But there are so many questions. Like, how would we know who to give money to? We'd have to have a national database with all the salaries of all the nation's workers. Do we have that? Seems like we would have that. Here's another plan. We promise money to pretty much every person in every business. We give this money to maybe half the people and to a very small percentage of businesses. We let big banks control most of this money meant for small businesses, and the banks can funnel it to their biggest clients. That sounds terrible. Those big banks sure know how to handle cash. It seems it would just be easier to give people the exact salaries they had before they lost their jobs to one of the deadliest viruses in a hundred years. Just freeze everything. Just mutually agree to pause together so we don't have to lose 730,000 more souls. First of all, boring. (laughs) Where's the intrigue? The drama. With our system, (laughs) you have wave after wave of unemployment with no end in sight. Every week brings something new. Business closures, bankruptcies, and, and, and ruptures of the supply chain. A never-ending, cascading, domino orgy of lost savings. Empty storefronts and shattered dreams. That's much more exciting than just some boring old guaranteed income that would allow everyone to simply ride out the pandemic knowing their jobs and businesses would be there when the virus was defeated. So there's no plan. Having no plan is the plan. <laughs> Haven't you been listening? Plans are for commies and the Danish. (laughs) Here we do it fast and loose and dumb and wrong. (laughs) And occasionally, we have a man who manufactures pillows come to the White House to show the president encouraging texts. (laughs) It all works. 18 months, 800,000 deaths, no plans, states bidding against states for medicine and equipment. You're on your own. Plans are lame. I'm going to go lie down. I don't feel good. (laughs) Should we sing a patriotic song? I feel like our forebears would be so proud of us now. It's just like how we all pulled together in World War II. Every element of society, from the White House to Rosie the Riveter, with common purpose and shared sacrifice. This is just like that, except instead of coordination... We have competition, and instead of common sense, we have acrimony and chaos. Instead of fireside chats, FDR and Churchill, we have tweets, Lysol, and Ron DeSantis. Other than that, it's exactly the same. Oh, my God. Yeah. 
All right. You know what? I think you should find out when Edgar's birthday is and give him an Oxford comma for his birthday. <laughs> no, that's New York Times. Oh, okay, They removed okay. the Oxford uh, commas. Okay, okay. For, for whatever reason. I'm not sure why. <laughs> we do have some questions from you all, so I think we should probably get into some of those. What do you think, Ryan? <laughs> you don't want to talk about this at all? We can, yeah. Well, I mean... Well, it's, well, I mean, I think it's just... There's not much to discuss as much as we don't know anything. Yeah, and I think that's that. This is the perfect yeah. illustration. It's like we have a few, we have a spattering of facts at this point, and we have different perspectives. And by the way, it, when we even had the conversation here on Patreon with Saladino, and then I had to follow up with Chris Kelly to try to get an alternate perspective. Yeah. Yeah, because Chris disagrees with Saladino, and even though they like each other, they know each other. Yeah. Um, but they disagree uh, on this. We have experts who disagree fundamentally, but also we have experts who disagree on severity. So not even, yeah. it's not like, because Paul is not a conspiracy theorist, but no. he, when he has some of these thoughts, he gets lumped in with like w with the crazy people who are yeah. like, it's you know whatever. Bill Gates trying to kill us with vaccines, right? He wants to eliminate fifteen yeah. percent of the population. Yeah, Paul doesn't believe any of that, but right. he you can you don't have to believe all of it to believe some of the thing. Right. Yeah. Uh, and and it's just like I think that's especially true with us. You don't have to believe everything that Ryan and I talk about to believe that simplifying your life is useful. I just wish people would talk about it in a way of exploration, instead of you've got people planting flags and this is what's right. This need, this is what needs to be done. None of us know what's right, and none mm -hmm. of us know what needs to be done. We have our theories, we have our opinions, but instead you've got two different sides saying two completely different things. And they're both wrong. Mm. I mean, that's well, which is interesting because, like, I don't know, I don't know what's right, but I know that I know that both extremes are wrong, <laughs> right? And but also, the, there's something wrong about the the method mm. in the the pointing of fingers mm -hmm. and the, the 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 lobbying. It, it, it's exactly what Eggers was talking about here. Like this this last paragraph when he's talking about instead. Instead of coordination, we have competition, mm -hmm. and instead of common sense, we have acrimony and chaos, and and that's that's where we are right now. Where it's like it's become politicized in the partisan sense. There's nothing wrong with. In fact, this should be the most politicized thing in the sense that this has to do with the affairs of the people, right. the affairs of our cities, the affairs of our states, the affairs of our country, the affairs yes. of the world, mm -hmm. and all of the people involved in it. That's what politics is. But what we've turned to is, and this is how we talk about politics now, when someone says, I don't get political, what they really mean is I don't get partisan. Right. And yeah, Ryan and I don't get partisan on this po podcast because we have different po political partisan beliefs. Mm -hmm. and, but we, we can still talk about the political side of things the implications for the people yeah. with respect to something how many, it being, how, yeah how many unemployed right now uh, over 30 million people yeah. so you have know filed for unemployment since march no matter where you sit on the political spectrum when it comes to partisanship we all want those people to get back to work right that's the one thing we can agree on for sure and that's yeah, i wish we could focus on what we agree on rather than yeah. In fact, let me let me let me say this since we're we're talking about this, and it may address one of the questions that, that are that's in here, but it's probably a good place to to talk about it. You know, I, I did the I did a, a quarantine conversation with Carl Widener, who is a mentor of ours, mm -hmm. but he also helped us out with a lot of real estate when we were in the corporate world. He managed all the leases for the corporate stores, and uh, the the thing that he and I have been talking about is, I mean, I've been wanting a retail apocalypse to happen for a long time because mm. I think overconsumption is a problem mm -hmm. and 
what I've been wanting is over the course of a generation to see uh, a shift in habits away from consumerism mm -hmm. toward experiences. Yeah. However, it's been rapidly accelerated. So you, instead of having this generation, it's been protracted into a, a month. You know, J. Crew just filed for um, bankruptcy. Neiman Marcus filed for bankruptcy. Wow. And you're going to see within the next 24 months, uh, roughly 50% of department stores. I don't think I don't think Macy's makes it out of this. I don't think Dillard's makes it out of this. I, I, I don't think uh, JCPenney's or Sears makes it out of this. Mm. Sears has um, maybe some potential. I think the only, only big department store that has a good shot out of this is a place like Nordstrom's. But e even, even they are going to... Uh, come into some cash flow problems if this goes on long enough. And so what what you're going to see is you're going to see this contracting of that sector, which I wanted to happen. The problem is I didn't want it to happen in one month yeah, or overnight. even one year. Yeah. And, and because here's the thing, remember when you're growing up and you had like really bad growing pains and we go through growth spurt growth spurts. Yeah. And so you're growing or when was your biggest growth spurt? Do you remember? Um, I remember getting a lot of growing pains when I was like in fourth and fifth grade. Okay. Yeah. So, so now you maybe grew a f uh, half a foot in that period of time, sure, six yeah. inches. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you grew six inches between fourth and fifth grade, it's really painful. But if mm. you were to do that over the course of a week, it'd be unbearable. Right. And that's the kind of pain we're experiencing right now, the unbearable pain. Where, whereas if it were to contract over a generation, it's like a balloon deflating slowly instead of it popping. Yeah. And we've experienced that pop. And that's really unfortunate because I was, I, what I want to see is a transition. I, I still believe in, in markets uh, and an exchange of goods and services, but mm -hmm. I would just like to see more services exchange than, than goods, yeah. uh, useless goods. And you know, minimalism really starts with the stuff, but then it, then it bleeds over into all the other areas of life. In fact, our next book is really about that. It's, it's about, it's called love people use things. And, it starts with the stuff, but then it's like, what are our relationships with, with truth and, and ourself and our values and, and our money? And what's our relationship with creativity and technology and distractions? And ultimately, what's our relationship with other people? And so it's a relationship book, but it's a lot of it's about our relationship with ourselves and, our, and the things that in our, our life that have to do with, with us mm -hmm. as opposed to um, just other people. Yeah. We got some questions here, Ryan. How about we dive into these? Let's dig into it. You want to go with uh, Jennifer? All right. You have spoken about how we will not go back to normal, but are there things you definitely plan to make normal again that you haven't been able to do? It was probably a handful of things, and I was talking yeah. about this on the minimal episode, Ryan, where I, I'm, I see myself shifting after, even though my life has shifted significantly since turning thirty, basically, so the last decade. Uh, well, last nine years or so, and and I I'm going to see not a shift of that magnitude again, mm -hmm. but I think we're going to see a significant shift after this, even for someone like me, who I'm going to really refine my preferences, and I might start saying no to certain things. I haven't figured out what the what they are yet, but I'm I'm starting to to tinker around with that that idea, and so there are there are some some sort of things I enjoyed doing before that I can't do right now, like mm -hmm. going to restaurants, yeah. um, going to the movies, going to coffee shops. Mm -hmm. Those are things that I enjoy doing yeah. that I haven't been able to do recently. Is yeah. there anything that you, that you miss out on? I think, I think that 
there's nothing i mean yeah i miss out on all those things but i don't think there's anything that i see myself not doing uh however i know that society will have a new normal and there will be things that i'm forced to not doing yeah I mean, there might even which be is movie okay theaters after this exactly which is okay um so you know like can i sit here and make a list of things that I'm not going to do when I go back. No, I, but I can, the things that you listed, I'm certainly going to go back to doing if it's available. Uh, I'm definitely, definitely going to go back to hugging people. Mm-hmm. I'm still going to shake people's hands. I'm probably not going to shake hands actually, yeah. but I haven't shook, I haven't <clears throat> shook hands in years anyway. Yeah. Shooken? Well, I'd rather... Sh- <laughs> Shaken. Is that the past participle? Thank you, Sean. Oh man, I'm shooked. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean... Yeah, to me, I think society is going to have a new normal and there will be some things that we have to get used to. What those things are, I don't know. But yeah, I certainly don't think it's going to go back to 100% normal. No, and, and I, I, in fact, I don't think, I think there will be, we're in an abnormal right now. You know, that's the the Strokes new album, which is really good, by the way. If you haven't listened to it yet, the Strokes came out with a new album. I'll have to check it out. It's called The New Abnormal. Nice. And that's where we are right now. And there will be a new normal, a different normal, uh, a new different. And and how different it will be, will I think it will encompass two things. And so I'll finish Jennifer's question with this. Mm. It will first encompass the societal changes. So if all of retail closes, we're of course going to do things differently there, right? Mm-hmm. Or if the vast majority of it closes. And then of course, new retail will pop up, people will try new things, whatever. Uh, it'll be a great time for experimentation, a lot of failure, but as we talked about in the minimal episode, those failures are really just opportunities to put something down, yeah. to walk away from something and move on to something else. You've tried it out, be willing to to set it down. Uh, the 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 second thing that's going to happen is your own individual changes, and so even if the world doesn't change as much as you would like it to, that's okay because you can change more. If you've decided like, oh, it was really stupid for me to spend all that money in restaurants, and I'm not haven't been able to the last couple of months. I've saved a ton of money. I'm paying off debt because of that. You don't have to go out to restaurants anymore. Right. It's okay to, 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 to realize that. And so uh, I think this is a time for reflection where people start to realize that many of the things they thought were essentials or even some things they thought were non-essentials that added value to their lives are actually junk. Totally. Totally. Right. Etta, uh, Ida. Joshua and Ryan, what are your tips for thriving at home during this time? So, so here's this one is is really easy for me is do way less. Whenever I feel compelled to do something, I try not to do it. Mm. And that that can be anything from watching television to to even reading a book or going answering email, whatever. And and f- and and just pausing for a minute, an hour, a day sometimes uh where it's like okay i don't need to get back in my email inbox today like i've already did that i've already done that today i don't don't need to go back into it and so by doing nothing it it allows me the time to reflect and and figure out what is what is important i I thrive from doing and this is one of the maybe the biggest takeaways i've learned from this is i thrive from doing way 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 less and it may not look good in terms of like i don't think people would define doing less as success Mm -hmm. but who cares like to me it certainly feels successful i have felt a real almost a static joy from these these little interstitial moments that have now protracted in my life where whereas before bex and i would spend 
10 or 15 minutes reading and having coffee in the morning together. And now we'll do it for like an hour. Yeah. And it's like, oh, this is, yeah. I get to, I get to protract these as you stretch them out like a, a, a piece of sort of um, silly putty or something. And like, it just continues to stretch and, and, and fill the space. And I don't have to be compelled to do something. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's going to be individualized. Uh, for, I can speak for myself. Uh, routine has definitely helped me. Um, I've actually been working out more during this quarantine than before. Mm. And the reason being is I'd started this 30 day, this 30 day program that I found on YouTube as a playlist. Uh, but it's different from how you're working out before, right? Correct. Yeah. But I'm still getting really good workouts. No, I know. I mean, that's the thing. I think, so, so I'm sorry to interrupt you, but like this is sparking something in me right now because before your idea of a good workout was to go to the gym Mm -hmm. that, that has been limited for you right now. It's been taken away from you. Yeah. And you have a couple options here. You can say, well, I'm, I guess I, I mean, I've seen this online actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I, I wish gyms would open up so I could start working out again. Right. And what you've said is until gyms open back up and you'll make that decision whether or not that makes sense, mm-hmm. I'm going to find a way to work out. Yeah. That's empowering. Yeah, I, I think the, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, the reason why I've been able to work out more is because it's a 30-day program. So I feel like I have to follow each day. Yeah. So uh, when I'm just kind of at it by myself, I think this is why people get personal trainers who people know how to work out. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you need help with form or something like that. So, you know, a personal trainer is appropriate, but a personal trainer holds you accountable. And for me, this playlist is what is holding me accountable. So, but, but the routine isn't necessarily best for everyone. Um, but my routine is, yeah, it's very similar. Mariah and I get up, she has some tea, I have some coffee, we talk, we sit outside, we, you know, take in some fresh LA air, which you could totally do right now. We got a hammock, we'll get in a hammock together. Like it's wonderful. Um, we, uh, we have zoom calls with friends. So I guess if I was to like, just kind of list out a few things that I think people should absolutely include in their, in their daily, you know, quarantine life, get outside hundred percent. Like I could not, I didn't even, we went to Montana and like my anxiety and any depression that was creeping in was gone. Like we had so many opportunities to go on hikes and Rye's parents just, I mean, they live in the middle of the country. So, uh, you know, there's plenty of trails, plenty of mountains, there's beautiful scenery, fresh air, <laughs> uh, where certainly, well, I'm, I'm taking that back with me. Uh, to LA where Mariah and I have to get in the car and we got, we got to get out of LA and like go for some hikes. Cause you can't yeah. really do like Runyon Canyon's closed. I think right now. So you can't really yeah. do things like that. Head out uh, to Palm Springs. Bex and I'm out there on Easter. Yeah. Her, yeah, we were talking about that. Her, yeah. uh, her parents, her, or her, I'm sorry, her, uh, well, her parent, her dad's sibling, her aunt and uncle live out there. We might go and see them even though we're not supposed to go see people. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, we didn't see anyone, but we, like it was, yeah. it was beautiful. It was semi apocalyptic. But, uh, but that's, I mean, you go, you go north, south, east, yeah. can't really go west because the ocean's there, but anywhere in LA, like it's all beautiful. It's really dead if you go what, far west. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. There's nobody out there. Yeah. But so, uh, so, so yeah, get outside, uh, definitely exercise and, and try to communicate with people, whether it's a phone call. Cause I find myself calling friends and family more. I find myself doing like zoom meetings, which I've never really done zoom meetings before, but like those three things, I think that is how. I, I thrive personally. Yeah, and, and I think it's nice to have that extroverted pr- perspective as well. Also a nature lover's perspective. This is where Bex and I differ. I was having a quarantine conversation, which will be out later this month with uh, Chris Kelly. And 
you know, he's a big advocate for nature and being outside. He and his wife sleep out. They own a house in Santa Cruz. They sleep outside, mm. like in a tent. Wow. And he said he got this from Rich Roll when he was here doing the podcast with Rich Roll. Mm-hmm. And Rich Roll sleeps outside as well. Mm. And and for me, like, that sounds like a nightmare. I would never want to do that. But it's about individual preferences. And knowing yourself enough, as you alluded to earlier, is really nice because when Bex and I, we, we, we took one of our Thursdays, every other Thursday we take off together and we, we just go somewhere. And this last time we drove up to Ventura mm-hmm. and uh, this is still the quarantine. Have you been to Ojai before? Have you heard of Ojai? I have heard of Ojai. I've not yeah. been up there. It's, it's really great. And they, one of the parks were open and there was like literally no one there. Mm-hmm. And um, so we, we got out, but on the drive up there, it's it's through Malibu and it's like majestic. The oceans there and it's the mountains and mm-hmm. and and Bex is like in total awe of this. Mm-hmm. And you know me, I could care less. Right, right. I, You're I, just happy. Bex is happy. Yeah, I was right. absolutely, and and so I enjoyed. That's why I enjoyed it, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why you know you and I have this whole long rant about joy, and I, I think joy comes when uh, the 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 contentment with other people. But anyway, so as we continue to drive north. All of a sudden, you know, you get out of Malibu eventually, and we're like, there's like, it's like a, uh, you wouldn't call it a strip mall, but it's like a plaza. Like, it's like Fields Ertle in Cincinnati. <laughs> and all of a sudden, this calm washed over me. Oh, wow. And there's like all these office buildings. Like, I, I, I don't know why. It was it was an involuntary response hmm. that we weren't like in a, even in a city. It was just like an office park. That's what it was. It was like several office parks surround. And all of a sudden, like, you're like, ah, yeah, I felt like I could exhale. Wow. Maybe because it's just what you're, yeah, what you're used to. And that's, it's familiar. So familiarity yeah. causes you to, to relax a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Diana has a question. Have you succumbed to or been tempted with falling back on any old habits during the pandemic? Have you been coping and resisting these old habits? You know, it's funny. Uh, I saw this meme. It was like, you know, either you come out of this quarantine in the best shape of your life or an alcoholic. It's like mm. got to be one or the other. I don't know how I could possibly fall into bad habits yeah, right me, now. Yeah, me either. In fact, I my habits have gotten better mm. since being in quarantine. Um, I even like, well, just talking about alcohol, like I've drank way less being uh-huh. in quarantine. Now I have seen people who they're talking about how like, oh, wow, like I really had to look in the mirror and realize how much I was drinking during quarantine and I had to cut back. So I think some people are falling into old habits, but yeah. Sales are way up on alcohol. Yeah, I am. And guns. So (laughs) no, I am, I am totally with you, man. Like I personally, no, I have not, I haven't even been tempted because I like, I look at this time as a, as a chance to do the things that I keep telling myself, like, man, if I had the time, this is what I would do. And like, so, you know, I'm practicing an instrument each day. I'm practicing Spanish each day. I am writing a little bit. I am, uh, you know, we're working on some a couple, we're working on a course that we're going to uh, put out uh, for the minimalist. So, I mean, there are, there are actually habits that I've taken on, but they're good habits. And I know I have not personally, I haven't fallen back into anything bad. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, dif- differentiating habits from routine uh, is important. Mm-hmm. And, and so a routine is something that you just do because you've always done it. And and that could be good or, or bad, but habits are things that you put that are that are done intentionally, yeah. and, until they become habitual, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And 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 then once they become habitual, they become sort of this autopilot thing, and you can add new things on uh, with with intentionality. So yeah. uh, I often do I try not to have a routine, but I, I do have good habits. The the things that uh, back to the thriving question is real quick. Three things that I do every day that I've been doing this even before this, but uh, I've been doing more of it is reading, writing, 
and exercising. Yeah. And I've been doing significantly more of all three mm -hmm. and I feel a lot more fulfilled yeah. by, by doing those things. Yeah, for sure, man. Tyler, right. Tyler has a question for us. Hey, guys, do you think once we as society get to a new normal, will people go back to their consumeristic lifestyles? Or do you believe society has learned from this pandemic and will scale their lives back to more minimalistic? Dude, I just saw a stat today. Consumer debt is up 14. It's like $14.3 trillion now. Yeah. Like it is. So I don't know if that does that include just 2019? Like I didn't, I'd have to look. At, I didn't I, have I, a chance to read the article, but consumer debt is still growing, without a doubt, and it's going to grow even more now. But but let's talk about why mm. income is down substantially. Yeah, yeah. And so if income is down, some people are right now having to. We're very fortunate, right? There's there's uh, what I would call rich COVID and poor COVID yeah. at this point. Mm -hmm. And right now, you and I aren't actually wealthy, mm -hmm. but we're we're relative to, you know, like my brother who, who lost his job for a while and his wife lost her job, which is, was even more devastating because he was able to go get a job at Amazon. Mm -hmm. and, and But his wife... Um, uh, doesn't have a job so they're no, they're no longer a two income family right, right. And so when you cut a family family's income in half or less than half yeah. or whatever you might have to take on some debt yeah, yeah. And, and and well you or you might feel like you have to take on some debt right. uh, you, you 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 may not actually have to take it on um in fact i was talking to our publisher uh yesterday mm -hmm. and we, we had a we had a really good um call about the the second draft of um love people use things mm -hmm. and and I, they made some recommendations, some changes, and I agreed by and large with most of them. Mm -hmm. And then we got to the money chapter, and, and they were like, "Well, you have to put in there that you know some people can't all get out of debt." I'm like, "No, I'm not going to put that in there. Mm. I, there. I don't agree with what you're saying. You're wrong. That some people can't get out of debt. Yeah, oh, I'm like, wow. oh no, 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 you're wrong. Oh uh, yeah, on a long enough timeline, anyone can get out of debt. Right. Yeah. I mean, and so is, is there? Is there? Are there 17 Americans somewhere who make? Uh, minimum wage and have seven hundred thousand dollars in debt. Yeah, maybe. Okay. But fine. The, the, even and I'm not uh, an advocate of bankruptcy, but even there, like there was some predatory going on. Maybe bankruptcy does make the most sense there. Sure. But even if you have, if you're like me and and you had about half a million dollars worth of debt, like mm -hmm. I did in my late twenties, mm -hmm. it took. Uh, took a lot of effort. Mm -hmm. It took uh, four years of 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 not miser not misery, but of extreme discomfort. Yeah, a lot of discipline, a lot of self discipline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and selling a house that uh, was oversized, and right? Using that money to, to pay off debt, etc. Uh, selling cars, etc., etc., etc. But anyway. Um, there may be times where people are taking on debt now because they feel like they have to. You don't necessarily have to. Mm -hmm. um, and and we often call minimalism living within your meansism. Right. If that's the more practical title for people, right. then then I th would think about it that way. And so, yeah, debt is another bad habit that people might pick up. So uh, to answer your question, Tyler, yes and yes. Do uh, Will people go back to consumeristic lifestyles? Sure. Yes, some people will. Will some people come out of this pandemic uh, being more minimalist, yes. Oh yeah, and it's up to you to decide which half you fall into. Absolutely. Sarah has a question. Sarah May, like Josh, I am unexpectedly thriving through this pandemic, growing and diving deeper into the dark corners with the space provided to do so. My question is: among the struggles so many are facing, how do you allow them space to feel heard and validated in these challenging times when the light 
is shining brightly in your home. It's been difficult for me to share positivity knowing that so many are struggling deeply. I struggle with this too, man, because like you said, we're fortunate. Mm-hmm. Like we're we're really we're really fortunate that uh, we can still pay our bills. We can still pay Sean, Jess, and and Jordan. Uh, we we are in an ivory tower. Um, you were saying on the uh, Paul Saladino, you are literally in an ivory tower. Yeah, I mean, I live in an apartment building that so, happens to be ivory yeah, colored. So yeah, so I, I really feel like um, it is difficult to talk about how great everything is going with someone who everything is going bad. But here's what I would say. The, the biggest piece of advice is sometimes you just need to talk less. And sometimes you just need to listen. And I know that you and I really, uh, we disagree about the whole empathy thing. But sometimes people just want you to feel what they're feeling. And if that's the most that you can give someone, that's okay. Like that is totally appropriate. Um, well, even if, if you if you don't experience empathy for them, having compassion exactly. is, is just as important. Yeah. And, and and really, I think either way, whether you're approaching it with empathy or compassion, either one of those is going to be better than trying to proselytize, you know, simple living yeah. advice to someone. Yeah. And well, and some sometimes people just want to vent their problems. Mm-hmm. So like they're not I, looking for a solution. I have such a hard time because like Mariah and I, I do, I do this sometimes. Like Mariah and I will be having a conversation, and she's talking about something. I'm like, oh, here's how you fix it. Yeah. And it's like, sometimes she doesn't want me to fix it. Sometimes she just wants to talk it out and like she, she'll, you know, she knows how to fix it, but she just wants to talk about where she's at and that's okay. So, um, you know, I carry that over to other people's conversations when, I mean, even with like, you know, conversations with rel- with relatives and they are in this like conspiracy theory, they're, this is a government ran virus. They're trying to crash the economy so they can take away paper money and turn us into put chips in our wrists. And Bill Gates is going to kill us with vaccines and whatever else it is. And you know what, man? Instead of me sitting there and being like, well, why don't you consider this point? I'll just sit there and I'll, you know, if anything, I'll say, well, that's quite the speculation. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I hope that's not the case. And then I'll quickly get off the phone with them. But. My point is, is like even in those extreme circumstances with those extreme conversations, I can still just sit there and listen. And that's, I think that's the best thing you can do with someone who's going through a really tough time. Now, if they're asking for help, give them some help. Yeah. And also you don't have to feed into it by listening either. So, so sure. the, the listening, it's not like Ryan is saying, yeah, it is messed up that Bill Gates wants to put a chip in your head. Yeah. It's right. It's not agreeing with them. Right. You're not, and, and you're not even placating them necessarily. Right. You, you can listen. And you can agree to disagree without be even being confrontational. You can still be compassionate for their point of view. Now, there are sometimes if someone's doing something that's hurtful or harmful and mm-hmm. they're trying to spread disinformation, then I think it's okay to shut that person down. Um, and in fact, I would encourage you to shut that person down, at least around you, because uh, it's it's not going to be to be helpful if, if they are they're on a soapbox that is causing you know, chaos for the, the you and the, your family and the people around you. Yeah. All right, Jessica wants to know, if happiness is a choice and humans can determine their state, why is it that people are still discontented? At what point is discontent a sign that something in life needs to change? And when is it just an unhelpful attitude? So with this question, do we have to agree that happiness is a choice? Well, it depends what you mean by choice. And humans can determine their state? Yeah. I think happiness is a default setting. I, I, I agree I'm, with that. What I mean by that is um, we are sort of born happy, yeah. so to speak. And and we do a lot of things uh, that will cause 
discontent or suffering in our own lives. Mm -hmm. Suffering does not lead to happiness, obviously. Mm -hmm. And so there can be health problems like 2019, for example, was the worst year of my life. There was a lot of discontent with that situation. So to answer her question, uh, is discontent, at what point is discontent a sign that something needs to change? And when is it just an unhelpful attitude? It's always a sign that something needs to change. Of course, always. always a sign. And... Yeah, is and when is it just an unhelpful attitude? I don't think wallowing in discontent is ever helpful. I think that mm. it makes me think that this time actually brings out the true colors of people. So if someone likes to play the victim role, they're going to be a victim. Yeah. And they're going they have a really good excuse to play victim right now. That's that's right. If there's someone who uh really is is thriving and and you know has good habits built in like this is a time for them to really thrive and to you know accentuate those good habits so uh yeah the answer is is yeah is that if you are a victim then yeah you're going to use discontent to your advantage because you've been used to you know you're used to playing the victim and i know people who are like that and you got to watch out because victims become victimizers right and and if someone in your life is is, is dragging you down, of course, that's going to make you discontented. And what is what is our setting? We often want to then uh, antagonize the antagonist, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah, it's so true. Dude, I, I think I tweeted out something like, I love complaining about people who love to complain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so yeah, I'll just sum it up like this uh, for you, Jessica, is if there is discontent, it's a sign that something needs to change, but it's not always the thing that you think needs to change. Mm. And so if you have discontent at work, it might not be me. It might not be just because your boss is is evil or terrible or bad or or that the work needs to change or whatever. It, it might just mean that you don't find meaning in what you're doing, but you could find meaning in what you're doing. You could. There is a way to find... There's meaning in, yeah. in all the, the even most mundane tasks that we do. We need bankers in the world. We need accountants. Mm-hmm. And so even if it's not the thing that you're most passionate about, you can still find meaning within the task. And and, and I think that is true with, with anything else we're doing. The, the discontent you're experiencing means something that needs to change, but it's up to you to ad- truly identify what that something is. Yeah. You know, the one thing I will say as far as happiness being a choice, I do think we get to choose our perspective. And some people who like to play the victim, they're stuck in seeing a really crappy perspective. Mm -hmm. But I think even someone in that situation, if they are aware of it and they're aware that they're focusing on the the negativity and the discontent that they can start to, I don't know, start a gratitude journal, like just do something to help change your perspective. Start instead of watching the news all the time, instead of watching reality TV, maybe read like, you know, an encouraging book or watch, you know, uh, something on YouTube that lifts you up. Like uh, John Krasinski, am I saying his, his yeah. name right? He's got that good news going on right now. It's great. Like, that's the news I will watch. And it's a little cheesy and it's a little hokey. And it's so, like, low budget. But it's it's actually charming because yeah. it's low budget. Right. Um, but in Between like, Two Ferns, low budget. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I love In Between Two Ferns. I heard uh, the movie was not good. No, of course not. Oh, I think it was, like, meant to not be good. Um <laughs> <laughs> but but uh but yeah I mean long story short is you 
if you are stuck in that position of constantly feeling discontent, there are things you can do to help change your perspective. And the, it takes a lot of work to like go from experiencing discontent to experiencing happiness and seeing the right perspective, but it totally is possible. It's like, I will start to get annoyed. I don't even know what it was. It was yesterday. I'm like, I was starting to get annoyed at like not being, I forget what it was that I couldn't do that I'm normally able to do. And I'm like, God, this quarantine. Dunk a basketball with two hands. Exactly. I'm like, God, this quarantine is ridiculous. I used to be able to dunk a basketball with two hands. Now I can't <laughs> because of quarantine. And uh, yeah, like I had to put myself in the right frame of mind where I'm like, wait a minute, dude. Yeah. Like everyone's in this. Everyone's going through the same thing. You don't deserve special treatment. You know, like. What's well, like when we, 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 we start to blame other people? And the, the quarantine could be the same thing. I remember when, when Trump got elected, and this is not a partisan political statement, because the same thing happens when Bush or Clinton or whoever else gets elected. Uh, who was it? I think it was Barbara Streisand who like blamed her weight gain on Donald Trump. And wow. it was like, well, wait a minute. Like Donald Trump didn't make you gain weight. He didn't put Thanks, the sandwich. Obama. <laughs> yeah, right. That's the thing. <laughs> it's the same thing. It's like no president put the sandwich in your mouth, mm-hmm. right? And and so uh, we we love to we love to outsource uh, our discontent, uh, the blame of uh, uh, the responsibility of our discontent onto to other people, as opposed to saying, well, no, it's it's up to me to actually remove the thing. So if Ryan, to to sum this up, if happiness is this base level, right? Mm-hmm. This base level happiness. Mm-hmm. So what's in the basement? Mm-hmm. Pleasure. Ooh. Pleasure is in the basement, and and, and so um, we often seek pleasure, but then then we by seeking pleasure often end up miserable mm. because we've we've gotten away from this base level base level of happiness and and it's it hurts you know if you do damage to the foundation you also do damage to your to the 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 structure and and then from there you have contentment and joy we have a whole thing about the difference between these four states of well-being and happiness is your default setting Anything that is interrupting that happiness is is an opportunity to pause and, and, and figure out what it is so you can let go of that thing. It doesn't mean you're going to be happy 100% of the time, but it does mean you have the ability to experience contentment uh, over, over longer expanses of time. And you can also make room for joy, which, by the way, makes room for all the other emotions. Joy makes room for grief. It makes room for sorrow. It makes room for being upset. It makes room for any of these negative emotions we feel as well. Because, by the way, pleasure doesn't. You can't feel pleasure and sorrow at the same time. It doesn't really work like that. Yeah. How about Rebecca's question here? Rebecca, Joshua, and Ryan, I deeply appreciate both of your unique perspectives on so many topics. I would love to hear your thoughts on this. How have you each looked after your personal well-being during the coronavirus pandemic? In which areas were you successful? In which areas have you struggled? Anything you wish you would have done differently? Any advice to listeners who are struggling to prioritize their personal well-being during these unprecedented times? Which, if any health and wellness recipes have worked for you personally many thanks if you pick this question i feel like we've, we've talked about this already the only thing that I, I would add to it is um i find that that this was needed mm-hmm. for and even though i didn't know i needed it and, and, and so i didn't want it and so sometimes the things that we 
need are not the things that we want. You can tweet that podcast, Sean. Mm -hmm. And, and so what I'm, what I'm learning here is like, I needed the, the slowing down and, and, even though my life is appreciably slower than it was a decade ago, mm-hmm. I needed the time to pause. And I'm, I'm beginning to finally understand the, and I'm gonna expand on this in a second. I'm, but I'm beginning to understand like monks even. I don't want that lifestyle. Right. I really enjoy having sex with Rebecca. Mm-hmm. Not this Rebecca that asked the question, <laughs> but my Rebecca. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I don't imagine monks do that. Uh, but uh, what I do appreciate is uh, the solitude. Mm. And I can see a world. In fact, Bex and I had this talk on a quarantine conversation. I can see a world not too distant future where I don't have a cell phone or internet at home. Uh, I could see a world where I, I've eliminated even those those productive distractions, right? Because we've been taught. This goes back to the very first question of today. Who was it? Uh, this was on the minimal episode when Lee asked about what systems do you use? Mm-hmm. I should have known early on when they gave us the Blackberry back in the corporate world. Oh yeah. Like, and they, they promise this, this will give you an extra hour Saves a day. Saves you an hour a day. Yeah. And, and all it actually did. And by the way, in some theoretical, on a, on, if you just did the math on it, that might be true. Sure. If you didn't take into account the human condition, <laughs> right? Uh, that we are impulse machines, mm-hmm. and so especially when when the the candy becomes most delicious, the brain candy of the apps and everything else, mm-hmm. it's really hard to stave off that impulse. Do you know how you stave it off though? By not having it, by not letting it in in the first place, mm-hmm. and so. Getting rid of home internet again is something I could see myself doing, especially when we're able to come back to the office and outside of this, these four walls of this tiny studio we're in, and and um, I can see, I can see radical simplification again in ways that I don't want it necessarily, mm-hmm. but maybe I need it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I have anything to add to that, man. Laurel has a question for us. Hi, Joshua and Ryan. Thank you for the opportunity to pose a question to you. I've been thinking about the outcomes of so many people purging their homes during this time when so many of us are housebound and would welcome your thinking on this. What do you think the downstream effects of so many used household items, articles of clothing, books, etc., being disposed of or donated all at once might look like? In my city, I believe many charities are unable to accept these kind of donations at the current time and likely are also not able to sell them until other non-essential retailers can reopen. When these charities open again, I'm anticipating there may be a large influx of donations for them to manage and a lot of used items will need to be sorted and to be made available to purchase. Alternatively, many of these items may also end up in landfills if people decide to throw them out rather than hang on to them for the time being. What are your thoughts around the potential downsides of mass purging, the associated impacts to others, i.e. the recipient charities, retailers, retailers of new items, and city landfills? And more importantly, your thoughts on how to purge responsibly at a time when it may be considered risky to give an item away to a friend or neighbor. Right. Yeah, so hmm. uh, I, would, I would rephrase the question a little bit, uh, I, and I would say, are the effects of not purging better than or worse than purging? 
And, and so if you have an excess, if you have an overabundance of stuff, mm-hmm. if you're like the average American household that has 300,000 items in it mm-hmm. and you want to get rid of 270,000 items, mm-hmm. which is 90% of your stuff, sure. right? Then, then is donating it or even put it all in a landfill is that more beneficial or less beneficial overall? And and to me, the it's just because I've experienced the 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 letting go. Mm-hmm. There's no question that it's far more beneficial. Yeah. And then that brings you to the second part of Laurel's question here: How do we let go responsibly? Right. The after having that really enlightening conversation with Andrew McAfee, the author of More from Less, the MIT scientist, environmentalist who who talks about these these things. Um, I'm much less worried about landfills now. It doesn't mean that I would like to just go fill up a bunch of landfills. Right. But what's the alternative? Right. The alternative is plastic ending up in the oceans, right. which is certainly what we don't want. And so uh, many of our things can be donated, reused, repurposed. Um, I'm becoming more skeptical about recycle, recycling, right? Um, and so we can we can do something with these items there's going to be new systems in place keep in mind these charities are businesses now they're non-profit businesses mm-hmm. but they're still businesses and so they will find ways if that means sanitizing every item that comes in if it means set up, setting up a new distribution system to to take to take the donations uh, before they go straight to the the warehouse etc they will figure this out over a longer period of time. In the meantime, yes, before you donate something, it might, might make sense to go ahead and sanitize it. Mm-hmm. That's not a problem. And if you can't donate something, I would be okay with throwing it away because it's, if it's a piece of trash in your house versus a piece of trash in a landfill, where would you rather it be? And this becomes especially obvious, Ryan, where like, let's say you were to eat a Snickers bar right now, mm-hmm. right? Now, you have that wrapper. You have two options with it. You can throw it on the floor here. Mm-hmm. Or you can put it in the trash can. Right. But, well, I don't want to fill a landfill. I guess I'll just throw it on the floor. Right. That's absurd. You Start know a it's compost absurd. pile. Right. Right. <laughs> you know it's absurd when you say it like that. But it's not different from, oh, I I've have- I've got three toasters. Right. I have these three broken toasters. Right. Yeah. That can't be repaired for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess I'll just put them on my floor. Well, of course you're not going to do that. Right. They're trash already. You ju- you've just created a landfill in your home. Yeah, I would posit that the the trash that you're keeping in your house, it's actually better suited to be in a landfill because a landfill it'll at least decompose faster. Right, and that's what uh, McAfee talks about. How a lot of these landfills now, the technology has improved so significantly mm-hmm. in the last uh, ten years specifically, but this century. Um, for sure, uh, that a lot of these landfills now where they, they are, it's not like what you see on the old movies where it's like the edge of town and there's rats scurrying about or whatever. Right. No, it's a giant hole they dig in the ground. They seal it off from the environment, mm-hmm. from the dirt mm-hmm. that because of regulations. These are good regulations to have. Mm-hmm. And then you fill up the landfill. It's a giant, giant, giant hole. And then once it's full, you seal it off. Right. You put dirt on top. Right. And you put a pasture on top of it, and then you're good to go. It could be a playground. It could be something else. If it's sealed off, it's it's not really a problem. Yeah. So if you got trash sitting in your house, it's trash is trash. So um, it's almost selfish to hold on to your trash and make it someone else's problem to deal with. Like mm-hmm. if you have trash in your house, deal with it. Um, that's the best thing you can do for your loved ones, for your family, for your friends, because when you die, it's going to end up in a landfill anyway, unless it can be used. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think we're not talking about donating enough. 
Uh, certainly, you want to donate as much as possible. And yeah, I need to read this essay on. Well, you said it's not out yet, but when it comes out, I need to read this essay on recycling because uh, plastic is probably the biggest thing. I thought that's the most important thing to recycle because, right. like paper, paper. There are forests that are now dedicated to paper products. It's not like we're going to the rainforest to come up with pieces of paper now. Right. That is that that has changed worldwide. Uh, when it comes to glass, glass is the least of our worries in landfills. Glass is a nat. I mean, it turns back into sand eventually. Right. It's not. It's not polluting anything. You could fill the, you you could fill the ocean with glass. Wait a minute. It already is filled with glass. Like, and we'd be okay. Right. So plastic is the one thing I would be like, oh, make sure you recycle. But now I'm even question. You got me questioning that, Josh. So, uh, yeah. At the end of the day, like, yes, you need to take care of what is best for you. Don't hold on to things out of guilt. For putting it into a landfill because again if it's trash it's trash it doesn't matter where it's at there are appropriate places for trash so put it in those appropriate places yeah yeah we got two more questions here ryan ss has a question for us thank you for this opportunity i would like to ask you guys a question about passion and perseverance how do some people do the same thing every day again and again and again with so much passion does it not dissipate? Your passion for minimalism is quite evident in how you guys talk, help people record and share your talk discussions again and again and again. My problem is that I get bored very quickly with everything. This has been the situation back in school, college, and at work. My grades performance are usually very good at the beginning of the year course job. Slowly, my interest loses steam. Then the grades slash performance start to drop till a point when it starts to look bad. Then I pull it up to a point where it is just average and it plateaus. I become bored. I have started several hobbies. Volunteering assignments all go well for several months or a year before I start feeling bored. I have seen several people do the same thing passionately over and over and over again. I lived in the U.S. for a while, several years ago, and I remember watching this show called Mad Money on CNBC. The host, Jim Cramer, <laughs> the guy's so funny. Money! Yeah, used to be pretty animated, and he did the same stuff every day for years on end. And I used to ask myself, doesn't he get bored of it? How do people do it? How do you guys do it? Thanks. So I think there. I think of music. I think of bands, and there are sort of two types of two types of two categories of musicians. One is sort of the Bob Dylan, where they change significantly, right? Like mm -hmm. he would make these rapid changes because, like SS here, he would get bored with what he was doing, mm -hmm. and he'd completely shift. And guess what? That worked really well for him. Yeah. I don't identify with it. I don't I don't, I don't think I've ever been bored. I except there's one exception. We're actually going to talk about it on the next question, so I'm going to save it. But there's one area I can think of where I get bored. And um but other than that, like I don't really understand boredom with respect to work and I enjoy doing the same thing over and over. I eat the same meals every single day. Mm -hmm. I I I I have a lower need for variety. And and so uh, Bob Dylan needed variety in his music. And then you had ACDC, who for 30 years made the same song, made it 12 times, put it on the same album. Yeah, and then they, they did that for 30 years, album after album. They created the same album over and over and over. Mm -hmm. And that worked really well for them. They enjoyed it. And guess what else? Guess who else enjoyed it? Their fans. Mm -hmm. Their fans loved the fact they put out the same music. They, they called it Consistent. <laughs> and so you're saying the the Nickelback is just the new ACDC. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
and and so th- they have a consistency and so i am more toward the acdc side where i enjoy consistency now i grow within the nuances of that consistency mm. whereas i learn more and i stretch myself and i often challenge my own beliefs mm-hmm. so i can change my own mind about a thing but i'm still doing it in the in the framework of writing and podcasting and we 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 dabble with other things as well you know mm-hmm. we have a youtube channel and stuff like that but writing podcasting these are the things that that we are, are the core of what we do mm-hmm. and i like doing the same thing over and over even if i get different outcomes through it now ss you might be someone who needs to make some changes and you need you have a high need for variety which mm. also means you probably have a high need for uncertainty in your life you you like the challenge of new endeavors and traveling i hate traveling and like all these things like maybe you have a higher need for variety and uncertainty than the average human being and if so instead of squashing that and saying well i need more consistency in my life consistency can be overrated if if you variety would really really help you out change your mind get out there do things that that fuel that variety that fuel that uncertainty that uncertainty might be what makes you feel alive yeah ss i would say get comfortable with boredom i get bored all the time Mm. uh and i'm comfortable being bored and that is almost a superpower because the problem is that if we're not, if we don't get bored, well, then we're constantly doing something. And for me, constantly doing something leads to anxiousness. It leads to stress. And I th- would rather be addicted to boredom than stress personally. Totally agree with that. So uh, maybe as- instead of addicted, maybe it's finding, is there a way, because I was talking to Bex about this last night, actually, uh, with with parenting. Like there was some, some extreme boredom that she experiences with that. And especially during the quarantine and, and taking care of Ella. Mm-hmm. That's even before you can get addicted to it. Just get try to f- get yeah, comfortable not, with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying get addicted to boredom. What I'm saying is, is get comfortable with boredom. And if you're someone SS who feels like you constantly have to be productive and I gotta be inspired and I gotta be passionate and I gotta wake up and I gotta I gotta love life and I gotta go out. If you're that, if that's your expectation, you're gonna be let down every day. Yeah. And the more you wake up being let down, the more you're gonna you're gonna uh, wake up being let down. It's going to it's gonna pile on top of itself. So instead of waking up and feeling bad for not being passionate or not being excited, wake up and just get comfortable with not being passionate, with not being excited. Get comfortable with the boredom. And then the other thing too is he thinks that we're passionate about podcasting or we're passionate about writing, which could be the case. But for me, doing the same thing over and over again, it's not the what, it is the why. Mm. Like that is what I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about the why. So when it comes to school, I don't, I mean, I'm not gonna sit and read read off every single thing that he listed here, but school, work, uh, uh, contributing, he starts off really passionate and then he gets bored. So get comfortable with that boredom. And then also don't start something new unless you have a very clear reason on why you're doing it because it's much, much easier to be passionate about the why than it is the what. Because if you're just focusing on the what, yes, you're going to get bored no matter what you do. And if you're not comfortable with the boarding, you're always going to be letting yourself down and you're always going to be trying trying to run to something new. Let's talk to, to Catherine here. Might be more appropriate for a separate conversation, but I would love to hear from Josh about how he has adapted to having Ella in his life. I'm a stepmom who didn't originally plan on having children and sometimes struggle to adapt, except I find the lack of control over things that impact my life difficult. And I also struggle with different approaches to parenting slash life 
in the two homes. How do you cope? And any advice on how to instill the benefits of simple living slash minimalism into a child who might be getting different values elsewhere, including increasingly school as she moves into high school? Yeah, well, I don't have a high schooler, so I I don't know about that last part. But Mm. um, yeah, this is probably not a conversation I would have outside of Patreon. But uh, yeah, it's probably the hardest thing I have to do. I'm, I'm not a particularly adroit parent. And... And I also, it's also not something I enjoy at all, mm. right? And so when Ryan mm. talked about the why, uh, it it's understanding that like this is, this is part of the package, and I could ignore it and be like, well, nope, uh, that's that's Bex's problem. She's gonna have to handle it, or I can say, well, no, I can participate. And then I have to ask myself, what's the best way for me to participate? Mm. And for me, it's not to be a a full time gung ho dad of the year sort of person because I know that's not me and it's, it's, it's not going to produce the best version of me. And so I am a sprinter parent, meaning I do really well for short bursts, mm. but I, uh, I, I'm not a good marathon parent, right? Mm. Now I have the, the privilege of, of realizing this as a, I mean, I don't call myself, I don't tend to call myself a step parent. You know, it's just, uh, Ella's my daughter and I, 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 she also has a biological father, right? And, and, there are a lot of nuances that are really hard to, to, man, we were having this conversation last night, actually, Bex and I were, um, I used to work at this restaurant in high school, mm-hmm. Bill Knapps, mm-hmm. and it was sort of shaped like a, a T. So I'm going to draw this here, Ryan. So the restaurant is shaped like a fat T mm-hmm. and we'll hold this up for the camera if you're a true fan or a VIP, you get to see it on camera. But if not, just imagine a fat T. Is that how you would describe that, Ryan? Sure. Okay, here's the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Here's the main dining area mm-hmm. at the bottom of the T. The, the ba- or maybe it's kind of like a mushroom with sure. a flat top. To me, it looks like a Tetris piece. Yeah, it does look like the Tetris piece. <laughs> but, so, so it's a Tetris piece, but with uh, the little bottom... Sticking out. Yeah. And then we had this annex that we barely used on this side, mm-hmm. on the left side. And the top right of the T mm-hmm. was the smoking section, mm-hmm. right? Which, remember smoking sections in restaurants? Unbelievable. Yeah. And so there's there wasn't like a door here or anything. And so... <laughs> Right. The smoke would just go in. Into the main dining room. Yeah. And so if there were, sometimes, especially on the weekends, the smoking section was packed, full, every booth full. Yeah. And there was one lady, the waitress who worked the smoke section, Phyllis. And uh, she... Did she talk like this? No, she didn't even <laughs> smoke. I don't know. <laughs> but everyone else who worked there did. Oh, wow. That's yeah, hilarious. I don't get it. Yeah. Anyway. Maybe smokers are good tippers. Uh, uh, maybe. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, it would waft into the, the main dining room. Mm-hmm. And you would smell smoke even if you weren't in. But like it was, you weren't in the smoking section, but you might as well have been. Right. right? And that is, in many ways, what being a step parent is like mm. where you wait are you in the smoking section or main dining room i am the main dining room bex and i are yeah. in this main dining room yeah and ella's biological father is over here smoking yes and the smoke is just uh, the 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 nuisance of every day all the all the nuisances of having to to navigate and he's not a, uh, I'm not, uh, he's not a terrible parent or anything mm-hmm. like that. You guys just see different. Yeah, we have different values. Yeah. We have different beliefs. Um, we have you know, j- different abilities, etc. Sure. And and so his preferences and everything else 
are wafting into my section. Yeah. Now, I have some questions to ask at this point. Mm -hmm. At what point does it make sense? And Bex and I talk about this all the time. You know, it's not till death do us part with us. It's Mm -hmm. like, hey, let's reevaluate this relationship monthly and see if we renew our contract. Right. Um, Which I think is a much healthier way than to death do us part. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because we we overvalue. We talk about this in the new book, right? We overvalue loyalty to a great extent. I appreciate loyalty quite a bit. Mm -hmm. But when someone is like loyal to a, a fault where like, uh, if Ryan, if I were extinguishing cigarettes on your arm every day, and you're like, I'll help I'm... you hide one dead body, but that's it. <laughs> <laughs> if you're asking me to help you hide dead bodies every day, there's going to be a problem. <laughs> right, right. And, and, and the same is true. Like with if there's an abusive relationship, you don't want to be uh, loyal to uh, someone who's abusive, whether it's physically abusive or even you know, emotionally abusive. Mm-hmm. You th- that th- the loyalty is actually a crutch at that point. It's mm-hmm. getting in the way of a, of of a more meaningful life. And so anyway. This uh, my my relationship is is very much like this main dining room where Bex and I are here, and occasionally there's too much smoke that is coming into the the relationship. Mm-hmm. And th- by the way, everything about this main dining room is freaking awesome. The food is delicious. Mm-hmm. Like the experiences, the ambiance is wonderful. Yeah. But then there's this other thing, and so now I get to choose: do we go eat at this restaurant, mm-hmm. or? Do I decide I don't want to be there? Mm-hmm. And this is a conversation Bex and I have to have repeatedly. Yeah. Because I can't pretend there's not a smoking section here. Right. Because there is a smoking section. Right. And just because I pretend it's not there doesn't make it go away. In fact, it makes it worse. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think we have to have some difficult conversations as as a partner or a spouse, as a, uh, as a parent as well, a step-parent, whatever you want, want to call it, Catherine. And... and when we are dealing with this, also have to, we have to be honest about our own preferences. Mm-hmm. And like you, Catherine, I never intended to be a parent, but it is it is the cost of admission for being in this relationship. Mm-hmm. So you better be willing to pay that cost. And the cost really is you need to be the best version of yourself for that kid. Otherwise, you probably need to find admission to a different a different park. I wish I was a step parent because like the way I'm around kids is I just be the coolest kid. And as a step parent, all my responsibility is is really to enjoy that kid. Yeah, and uh, that's the advice I would give Catherine is instead of focusing on what you what you wish your step kid did or how you wish your step kid was, just find ways to enjoy them, and that's that's going to create a stronger relationship with your child. Mm. Uh, tell them yes as much as possible. So when you do tell them no to something. Uh, that they're gonna respect the no, because like yeah. even when I'm the coolest kid, like when I was at the daycare, like I said yes to as much as I could. But there were certain times where I'm like, "Hey man, what are you doing?" Like that's not. Ryan a good... worked at a daycare. That's what he's saying. He wasn't just hanging out there. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've talked about this several times. Yeah, but probably. yeah, yeah. Like when I um, I worked like seven months at a daycare, it was awesome because I was like working with all kids, working with all women, and then I got fed up because I was working with all kids and working with all women. <laughs> But those seven months, it was great, man. Uh, but it was it was nice because, um, well, first off, me as a child, I didn't have anyone who like looked out for me. Mm. So I really liked finding those kids and bonding with those kids because I knew that they had no one looking out for them. So that's that's what I really enjoyed about it. So 
just going back to saying yes as much as possible is like, yeah, I was the fun, I was Mr. Ryan. I was the fun guy and everyone wanted to play tag with Mr. Ryan. But guess what? When I said no to something like, yeah, some kids like they try me like they would, you know, wait a minute, you're not being fun anymore. And it's like, no, I'm not being fun. Yeah. Uh, but they but they learned how to take my no as my no and my yes is my yes. Um, but yeah, Catherine, enjoy, learn how to enjoy your kid first and foremost. Let's just stop there. That's the advice for Catherine. Learn how to enjoy your child, your stepchild, and then build on that. There were a few questions, Ryan. Uh, I didn't include them in here, but people asked how they can contribute during this difficult time. And, mm. and, um, first off, thank you for contributing to our Patreon. That helps us out a lot uh, with, uh, Couldn't do it without you. with Sean and Jess and Jordan and the rest of the team, uh, me and Ryan as well. Uh, we are just we're so grateful that you've decided to contribute if you have any additional money you want to help people out i've the two charities that we are donating to as the minimalists are uh, feeding america which is, they help out food banks mm-hmm. across america mm-hmm. and um then there's another one called core and core c-o-r-e stands for the children of restaurant employees mm. and so uh feedingamerica.org we'll put a link to that in the show notes and also coregives.org so what CORE is doing, and I like this, is any restaurant worker who has COVID um, can supply the their positive test that they got, and they will give them money to take care of their kids That's great. while they're unable to work. Yeah, and so awesome. a charity really stepping up to help people who are essential workers who are on the front line. And um, by the way, they, they help out in other times as well. And so like, for example, they just had that tornado in Nashville not that long ago. And there were a lot of restaurant workers who were displaced. And, 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 and so they help out people in those situations as well. So we'll put a link to both of those in the show notes. And by the way, we do these uh, longer Ask the Minimalist uh, sessions every month. We're going to do another one later this month. We typically do Ask the Minimalist just for the true fans and, and the VIP members. VIP tier has been sold out forever. I think there's maybe 100 or 200 people left in the true fan tier. Uh, the true fans, they get the video version of the podcast. By the way, I'm, I, I don't care what tier you're in. I'm just putting this option out there for you if you're interested <laughs> two in Two bucks is two bucks. Yeah. We really appreciate that. <laughs> yes, for sure. Uh, you get that. You get recordings of any of our live events if you're uh, on the true fan list and then uh, you get a video version of the podcast but you also get the video and audio version of our monthly ask the minimalist anything which we'll do an, uh, one later this month as well but that's all we got right now y'all love people use things thank you so much the minimalists <laughs>